I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. I want you to live with me and die with me and everything with me. Well, hello. Jeez, welcome to Film Church Radio. This is the the podcast that treats cinema cinema as a, a religion as such. It's it's Sunday. I'm I'm Brandon. And I'm Lewis. And we're here to talk about movies and, and things. And, you know, each week, Lewis and I, we, we alternate picking a film for both of us to, to watch and discuss. And it's, it's really pretty interesting. But this week, we continue our 2023 director retrospective on uh, Stanley Kubrick. Uh, we're going to watch chronologically each film of Stanley Kubrick and uh, discuss in detail. And, uh, and this week, we're discussing Lolita from 1962, starring James Mason, uh, Sue Lyon, and uh, Peter Sellers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, this is it, people. We're, we're doing this. We're talking about Lolita. We are. It's going to be the most uncomfortable episode of Film Church Radio <laughs> yet. <laughs> so get ready. Uh, the book that I'm reading, I probably should have pulled up what it is and who wrote it. I'll I'll tell you here in a little bit <laughs> after I look it up. Uh, but the the guy basically um said that this film is a portrait of delusion, and I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, but again, you're gonna have to wait just a few minutes. Um, <laughs> when we talk about the show or talk about the movie. Uh, first, we want to say thank you to everybody who's been listening to the podcast and sending their love for the show. If you're new to the show, I feel like that's this is a weird one to pick. <laughs> that's your first episode. No judgment, but hey. <laughs> but welcome. Thanks for being here. <laughs> uh, it is a good film. I, I'm going to say that, but, you know, it's, I mean, it's icky. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for being here nonetheless uh <laughs> you can uh subscribe to us if you're not offended and uh yeah just follow us on all the social media channels at film church radio where you can leave us a comment and tell us how much you hate us uh we're also on youtube and other social media like i said youtube we've got extra content um we've got some like video podcasts on there with guests and stuff so if you want to see what we look like and throw tomatoes at your screen you can do that um and listen to us from any whatever favorite podcast service you like we're on them all um before we discuss the film lewis and i like to talk about other things that we've been watching this week um so kind of like trailers before the movie and I haven't been watching a ton. I've got a couple of things, but Lewis is always, you know, he always brings the <laughs> <laughs> brings the best part of this show <laughs> uh, with his watches because he's got many. Yeah, um, you're too kind. I, I wouldn't <laughs> say that, but um, I've got, yeah, I've ticked off some of the films from last year that I hadn't seen that got a lot of kind of, a lot of attention around, you know, the best films of the year lists that have been circulating. Um, so I started with um, Saint Omer, which is a French film um, directed by Alice Diop about a woman who stands trial um, for killing her 15-month-old daughter, um, and it's about a journalist that kind of travels and is is in the courtroom while this is happening, um, and it's a very interesting film um it's it's very dark yes it is it's very it doesn't it's it's in it uh, this is going to sound really wrong in a way it feels very uncinematic but i think that's because it is cinematic that Hmm. sounds like it's not going to work but it kind of is i mean in the courtroom in the court scenes which make up 90 percent of the film it's kind of the main woman's testimony 
um, about you know what's been going on and what's happening and why she shouldn't take the blame, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's long takes of characters kind of speaking long monologues, um, and the 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 editing is very strange. We cut to other characters reacting to that news or reacting to things at weird times. It's not like yeah. at the end of a sentence we cut to a character and they're like reacting to it. You know, a character would ask a question and then the camera would stay on them and someone from off camera would be like giving their response and we would just focus on like the juror or whoever was asking this question. Um, huh. And at, at first when it ended, I felt very like lukewarm to it. I was like, yeah. oh, okay, you know, fair enough. Um but it kind of, it buries in. I, and I've been thinking about it a lot and about kind of the themes and stuff. And and it I think it deals a lot with postpartum depression and motherhood and what it means to be a mother. And maybe that part of it doesn't work for me because I'm not a mother. You yeah. know, I've, I've seen motherhood and I've got the strong um, characters in my life that are mothers, um, but I've never seen it from that perspective before. Um, but it's very, it was very interesting and something I think that I need to go back and kind of just watch again. Now that I know that Ted, like the, the out, the verdict of the court isn't really that isn't, doesn't really matter. It's more about the characters and what they're yeah. actually saying. Yeah. You know, um, so I gave it three and a half, and I did bump it up. I gave it three originally, and then I bumped it up half a star because I was like, actually, I'm thinking about it a lot. You know, it's obviously yeah. sticking with me. Um, but then, and I think I watched it on the same day as the next film, and I think that this just blew it out of the water. I finished Joanna Hogg's Souvenir Trilogy, and I watched The Eternal Daughter um, yeah. from last year. Um, How about don't talk about it at all? <laughs> not to that sounded really rude but like <laughs> sorry shut your mouth off. <laughs> yeah shut up <laughs> um yeah we should save it okay cool we'll save it yeah okay yeah that's all I mean, I, that's all i meant there is a review that i wrote a few thoughts when it had finished on my letterboxd yeah um and i know that we both loved it well we both loved the souvenir part one and part two um so yeah I assume that you're probably going to watch it soon. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I will. Yeah, yeah, and then we'll we'll talk about it together. Yeah. Um. Um. So sorry yeah, to throw you on. off. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then HBO had Sam Mendes's new film, which I didn't realize was coming to streaming already. Uh, Empire of Light, um, yeah. starring Olivia Coleman, um, Toby Jones, um, a film that I like the look of. I'm a, I like Sam Mendes a lot. I think. Like when you're starting out on a on a film odyssey, especially where we came from, the decades that we came from, American Beauty played a huge part in like what film could be. It like it's mainstream, but it felt indie, you know, yeah, in a weird kind of way. And for a long time, I was like, I love this film. I haven't watched it for many years, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm a big fan of Sam Mendes. I do like his his films um, and this is right up my alley it's about a um an old cinema on the british coast in the 80s and about the people working in there there's still a a projectionist and his room is like a gold mine there's just pictures of like film stars on the walls and there's yeah. a lot of care of him like moving the canisters in and out of the room and like unspooling them and stuff like that um which was so great to see um yeah the criticisms I had seen was that it there was too much going on and it was a bit jumbled. Um, I don't feel like that. I don't think there was too much going on. Um, and I had a good time with it. I thought it was, a, you know, a nice, simple story. I think it told the things it had to tell really well. Um, yeah. And it's just a bit slight. You know, it's not a big film. And I think that's kind of where it fell down in the ratings for some people. It's just very yeah. under the surface and calm, you know? Mm. Yeah, uh, where I guess it, most of his other movies are pretty intense and action-y. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think of other films that he's done, like Revolutionary Road with Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio. The, there's like a big 
you know, they it's a big emotional character piece. Yeah. And there are beats in here that are emotional, but it all feels a bit, it feels very real, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the point. I don't think these characters feel like real people. They're, they're not, you know, big things do happen, but it's always done in like a kind of low-key way. Um, but it was just, it was a perfect like Sunday film, you know, the kind of thing that Sunday afternoon you're like, oh, I want a like, enjoyable film to watch. Empire Light's a good pick. Yeah. Um, and then last but not least, um, Decision to Leave from mm-hmm. 2022. Uh, another film that I've been meaning to watch for a while, finally got round to it. Um, not at all how I thought it would be. Um, it's... I read a lot saying that it was Hitchcockian, which is always going to be a plus. Always add it to my watch list when I see that. Yeah. Um, and it's really well made. I think that um, the director, Park Chan-wook, is having such a wonderful time with the camera. You know, there's all these wonderful camera movements and we're zooming in, we're zooming out. Characters are kind of, you know, sideways. <laughs> it's hard to say. Yeah. And then some of the sets look just like sets they're very kind of stagey um and and i think that works for it it gives it a very fairy tale-esque feel to it throughout the film yeah um and yeah it's it's really good and there's a there's a there's a the main character kind of part of um what she talks about is is related to the title she has one line of dialogue where she says you know it was my decision to leave and i was like whoa that's really good. <laughs> Just these little moments that you're like, I really like that. You know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was really fun. It was really, really fun. Um, nice. I don't think any of these that I've talked about, we'll save Eternal Daughter for later, is would have made like my top, like come close to my top of the film of the year though. Yeah. When we talked about, you know, like Fablemans and stuff like that, I don't think yeah. Yeah, it, it could... Come- touch them well none of these got nominated really did they yeah i mean there's no they didn't i think empire paralyte got nominated for something because it's uh roger deakins was the uh, uh, cinematographer okay. yeah who is you know and it does amazing. look beautiful it does yeah. look amazing yeah yeah um but yeah unfortunately yeah none of these did um and i don't think they would have made my you know top five maybe maybe it would have you know got close but yeah i'm glad yeah. that i've Tick them off though, because I feel like for a while everyone, especially Decision to Leave, was talking about Decision to Leave. Yeah. So. Sweet. Yeah, I need to catch up on all these. There's just too much. It's hard to, yeah. you know. I feel like I was in a mood where I was like, I just need to get these watched. Yeah. You know. So. Responsibility. Film responsibilities. Apparently, not the Oscar films, though. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um. What about you? Well, what have you been watching? I haven't been watching much. Uh, I rewatched Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which I've seen tons of times, but I guess not enough. Yeah. Um, at least for Sarah. Because <laughs> she it's like one of her favorite movies and she's like quoting it all the time and then I'm always yeah. like miss I'm like, what is that from? And she's like, Scott Pilgrim like I can't <laughs> quote this movie. Like <laughs> Um, so uh yeah, we rewatched it and um, probably needs to be an annual watch for us because I mean it's yeah. a great movie and it's aged really really well. Yeah, everybody in it is is great. And I did notice uh, on your letterbox that it was a pretty low rating. So I'm wondering Ooh. what uh, when's have you, how many times you've seen this movie and when's the last time you saw it? Have a look. Yeah. Oh, it is a low rating. What is wrong with me? There's I I think I've only logged it once. And that was okay. in 2018, May 18th, 2018. But you had to have doing? seen it before that, right? You didn't see it when it I came out? I think so. I don't think yeah. I saw it in cinemas. It was 2010 when it came out. And yeah. I, I was working at a movie theater when it came out. So I got a, I've, I've got a couple of posters. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, that are cool. Yeah, the poster yeah. is awesome. Um, he's like... Uh, Michael Cera is like holding a guitar and like bending over and playing. Yeah. And then there's like this pattern that's coming out of the guitar. Yeah. And it's like kind of this circular thing, but he's like bowing down. And I like put it in my bathroom and he's like bowing towards the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was awesome. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, it's like, 
it's so it's so great because it, it's 2010 and there's so many people in that movie that have become superstars. Oh, I mean, yeah. like Brie Larson is in it. Audrey yeah. Plaza is Aubrey Plaza is in it. Um, Chris, uh, Chris, one of the Chris Evans. Evans, yeah, yes, uh, is in it. Um, one of the McCulkins. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the list goes on. Yeah, so many great people in the movie, and um, yeah, it's just a, it's a lot of fun, and it's it was kind of it was kind of great for its time because it's a movie based on a comic book, and the comic book is based on a on video games so it's yeah. kind of like this weird like mashing of genres that i think Edgar wright did a really good job with so yeah. much so that like when it came out it was like it was almost so obvious that i feel like i couldn't appreciate it yeah. as much at the time but now it's like aged really well and like i don't know anything else like it yeah um or at least anything else that does it as well as it, it does. Because it's like this weird mix of uh, uh, action comedy, I guess. Because it's yeah. like you can't, it's not real. Like it's all like all the action sequences are like heightened in a way that's like a video game fake. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's yeah. not. Uh, and, and I guess maybe because I'm a little bit older now and my. I don't play video games as much, so video games to me are now more nostalgic and like playing, yeah, you know, old Nintendo and Sega Genesis and that kind of era. And I think it's more of that flavor than it is of like video games nowadays. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, it's uh, yeah, I think one that I'll have to watch annually or biannually. Yeah. That's good. I mean, I have no idea. Why my rating was so low? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I finding, this, I'm finding this a lot because, like, when we rewatched um, Indiana Jones and in the what's the last one called? The last Crystal Crusade Skull. Crystal Skull, yeah, yeah. Um, I, that popped up when I was going to rate it, and the first time I watched it, I think I gave it like one and a half, and I was wow. like, "Whoa!" I don't think <laughs> it was that bad. I don't know what. So maybe this is like a trend. Maybe I'm just getting yeah. a bit more um, nicer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Are, you know, I'm opening my heart to more. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, that is that is strange. <laughs> I mean, it's also like you know, it all depends on like your yeah. mood and stuff of the day. Like if you're having a good day or a bad day, like you know, yeah. movies. Yeah, like movies uh, can sometimes connect with you, and sometimes yeah. they can't, depending on where you're at in your life. You know, and you know, I love that you're right. Yeah, exactly. So it's... Yeah. <laughs> wow. Crazy. Yeah. Um, it's on Netflix, so if you want cool. to give it a rewatch. Yeah. Um, and then I finally finished Dave season two, which is the show that Lil Dicky does. If anybody knows Lil <laughs> Dicky, <laughs> which I I think you either love him or hate him. I was going to uh, say, is Lil Dicky a homie or is he like just a celebrity? Uh, well, he's a rapper. Okay. He's yeah, he's he's like a white rapper, you know, with this big fro. Okay. So not uh I mean he looks I mean he's got a fro like me. So yeah. he doesn't necessarily look like me, but he's white and he's got a fro. <laughs> I'm not a rapper. Um <laughs> two out of three. But he it's it's basically based on his uh life, and I don't know how closely based on it it is but um the the rapper's real name is dave so that's what the show is called yeah um and when the show starts he's like you know kind of a wannabe rapper he's never performed live and stuff so it kind of goes through his journey of like getting famous and stuff and uh i remember talking to you about it when i watched the first season because i was like dude this is the funniest show i yeah ever seen like in a long time like i've laughed so hard at this show um but it also gets very emotional and season two is like that too like season two holds up and uh it i think season one came out in 2020 season two came out in 2021 and season three is coming out in a couple months so i'm glad i i just now caught up um but um yeah the balance of like comedy and 
drama yeah. is handled really well. Um, which makes sense because I was listening to an interview with Judd Apatow recently mm. and the hosts were like, so what, it, what are you watching that you really like, you know, that's got you excited and stuff. And he's like, honestly, the show Dave is like really great. Um, which makes sense. Cause Judd Apatow is like the king of Staten Island. No, I'm just kidding. He's like the king <laughs> of, uh, balancing, uh, you know, comedy and drama. Yeah. Like, he does that really well. Yeah. And I really um, liked his show, Love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I would highly recommend the show. If you're looking for something just to, you know, laugh at. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's really good. We've been watching a lot of, like, BBC dramas at the yeah. moment. One in particular. And there's not many laughs in it. So maybe this is something we need to throw on afterwards to lighten yeah. the mood. <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 It's, <laughs> it's, it's really good. And yeah. there's a lot of celebrity cameos in it and stuff. And Kevin Hart is one of the producers. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, if that means anything to you, <laughs> uh, he's a good comedian. I don't know. I'm not going to yeah. shit on him. What am I saying? Yeah. <laughs> his movies are hit and miss, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he's good in Jumanji. He is really good in Jumanji. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, you'll leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's good in two movies, Jumanji and Jumanji. Jumanji Welcome to the, the Next jungle. Level. Yeah. <laughs> oh, The Next Level. The first one is Welcome to the Jungle. That's right. Or just the second one. Yeah. It's the it's first a, of the reboots. Yeah. <laughs> I always find it crazy that the kid from Hereditary is like. I know. Because yeah. he's so good in Hereditary. I mean, I he's good in Jumanji too, but like. Hereditary yeah. is like his film, you know? Oh, yeah, dude. So. Yeah. Crazy. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, with that, I think it's on to our feature presentation. How did they ever make a movie of Lolita, 1962? Humbert Humbert is a middle-aged British novelist who is both appalled and attracted to the vulgarity of American culture. When he comes to stay at the boarding house run by Charlotte Hayes, he soon becomes obsessed with Lolita, the woman's teenage daughter. Uh, if you've not seen this movie it's as creepy as that description sounds <laughs> but i so i had seen it before yeah. lewis has seen it before we've probably watched it like both around the same time like a while ago yeah um it's one of those kubrick films that gets brought up every once in a while and it's like you know it it sounds like something that's I mean, the way that it was talked about before I saw it was like, okay, I, it sounds like I need to see this movie. Yeah. Um, because of how much praise it gets. Uh, it's not a bad movie. It's a good movie. It's a very well-made movie. It showcases a lot of talent, actors' talent and stuff. Um, but it exists... It, it's just... It's a weird... It's a very weird watch, especially in today's world. Yeah. I mean, even back then, it was highly controversial. <laughs> and uh, it, it was deemed by the Catholic Church as, like, sinful to watch. Like, if you watched the movie, you would be committing a sin. Hmm. Um, the book was also highly controversial. Um, and not to defend Kubrick for making this movie, but... And maybe he's the one that started this trend. I don't know. But sometimes, like, filmmakers, like, do something controversial in order to, like, get uh, national or worldwide recognition of their name so they can, yeah. like, start making more stuff and, um, you know, just become a recognizable name. And that seems like maybe... 
I mean, nobody's like talked about this. Like this is just yeah. from my perception. It's it's a good uh strategy yeah. <laughs> in order to become a worldwide filmmaker, I guess. Um and I don't know if that was actually his intention. Um but yeah, like I'm you know, I'm still it, the thing watching it this time um this is only the second time I've watched it and and yeah, the thing watching it this time that I like had no memory of of was the comedy in this yeah. film. Um like I forgot completely that it like had so much comedy. But that's basically what the movie is. It's like it's a satire about pedophilia. And it's and I think that's like I mean, I guess as a filmmaking challenge, that's the attraction is like how can I make them yeah. like one of the darkest things to to discuss and uh dive into a satire. <laughs> and I mean it kind of accomplishes it, but like at what I mean, did it it at the same time it's like why why did we need yeah. to do that you know yeah i mean yeah so this had been a film that um kubrick had been trying to make for quite a few years you know yeah. he was working on it around the same time as one-eyed jacks um was trying to get it off the ground before he got um pulled in to do spartacus he'd been trying to do it for a while and i feel like as soon as spartacus um took off and you know became the success that it was he was like, right, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make the film I want to make. I wanna yeah. do, you know, what I wanna do. But this I even at the time, I mean, even now, I think if you were approaching to make this film, it would be a very daunting task in terms of yeah. like, how can I make this palatable to the masses? Yeah. Um and I mean, especially at the time, because you know, our restrictions on what you can and can't show aren't anywhere as near as stringent as they were, you know, coming out of the fifties and into the sixties, you know, the, the Hays code was still a thing. It needed to get certified to be able to be shown, um, all these things. So I can't imagine why you would want to do it. And, and, um, I know that the book is like, is very highly praised and people see it as a classic. And, um, I was doing some research because I, I try, I started to read it as you know, and didn't get, super far into it just because of the subject matter it was very it's hard to to digest uh, yeah yeah it's hard to kind of you know read it and and live in that world exactly um so i did some i was looking at like other people's reviews of the book and just to see what it was that made it so great and people were saying that it's the it's the narrative form the fact that the narrator who is humber humber is very unreliable and he like bashes around so you're never quite sure if he's telling the truth or not. And it's kind of yeah. like, you know, a plot twist. And I was like, okay, well, that sounds good. But I don't know how that would, I don't know how you could think that would translate to the screen. Right. And I think this is as good as it probably can be. Yeah. Well, especially for the time, because it was like, when I was watching it, it was like, this feels like a sitcom. Yeah. Like the way, even the way it's shot, like the only thing it's missing is like the laugh track. Mm. You know, it's like, because it, it almost feels like it's not even taking itself seriously at times, you know? It's yeah. like, all the characters are so heightened, yeah, but they're also still wooden in a way. Like, there's only one layer of, uh, of these characters. Except for maybe the Peter Sellers character, but like, um, but even him, he's like, he even the Claire Quilty character is he, like he is who he is, and he's and that and he's not. There's no more depth to him, I guess. Yeah. Like he yeah. does play a bunch of different characters, but that's almost like a mask to hide something deeper and darker, you know. Um, but but yeah, the characters are are very heightened versions of themselves, but only to one degree, to where like 
like Lolita isn't like you never really see any of her trauma. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the thing that is very much missing from this film. Um, granted, I guess at the time that was something that you couldn't really show or yeah. else this movie would have, I mean, he already had a hard time like getting past the censors, you know, it's like if yeah. you showed the trauma, they might just not have put it out at all, you know, because it would yeah. have been too real for people, I guess. And it would have changed the film completely. I mean, the, I think the fact that, you know, as the film goes along, Humble Humble is degraded so much to the point where he's just like, you know, he, he just kind of wanders off. You know? <laughs> he's yeah, like, he's like so pathetic. lost and like, yeah, yeah. pathetic. Um, and I think that that's, that's what the film needs in terms of like to keep that tone throughout. You know, because if it would have started to look at like the effect that it had on Lolita, then it it would be more of a hard hitting drama, I yeah. guess. And this, it, I mean, it tries to keep it light, and I think that's more of a distraction tactic. I think that the the lightness of it is really trying to distract you away from the subject matter to kind of you know to be accessible to hundreds of people or thousands or millions of people, because. Yeah. Um, like I said, when I first saw it, I, I really, really liked it. Yeah. I thought that it was really well done. And I thought that, you know, the taboo subjects, I probably confused the fact that it was um, pushing the envelope with the fact that it was kind of ahead of its time. Yeah. You know, I think they're, they're two very different things. Um, and on on the rewatch, as you were saying, it, it just struck me that it is very problematic, um, obviously. But also that I don't think you can say the things that you need to say with it being as censored as it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's miss. It's definitely missing um, a another layer. Uh, I think for I don't know. It, it's like it, it's such a. I'm trying not to dance around. I'm trying to like actually say what yeah. I'm trying to say here, but I'm trying yeah. to figure out. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, okay. So the book that I'm reading that I I forgot to mention earlier or forgot the name of is called Stanley Kubrick, American Filmmaker by David uh, Mickis or Mick Mickis. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he kind of goes into talking about how it it leaves. You know, it doesn't ever let let you see the side of Lolita that is. Uh, hurting you know and struggling and like you know traumatized and and you know uh horrible relationships with multiple people including her mother yeah um but even like he points out which i i mean i noticed but it's like it kind of drives the point home a lot more when he pointed it out that even when she finds out that her mother has passed the it, the camera just cuts like the scene yeah. just cuts like you don't get to see her reaction to that realization um you there is a scene after that where she's crying but it's not you know it's like post like the moment that you would show is like her realizing it yeah. and then like going through that but you you know that's held back from us as an audience so we never yeah. really I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. Like there's like I was saying there's like that layer is missing from it which you know, I kind of just have to look at this movie as like yeah, just almost like a weird sitcom that's trying to deal with subject matter uh that <laughs> that it can't that, it's yeah, prime exa- time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um you know, and I think I I don't think we should like shove topics like pedophilia under the rug and just act no. like they don't happen and not talk about them. Like this is a, a problem yeah. <laughs> in the world. Uh, and it's, you know, probably even more so in this day, like back then when it was made because of the patriarchy. I mean, it's still like, obviously, um, 
a huge problem today, I think. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you can tell, I mean, for the time period it is like, you can, like men just have so much authority yeah. and they still do, but like, yeah. you know, well, that's the joke of the first part, isn't it? That like he's in this marriage and he's kind of emasculated because of it. Yeah. Like she holds the power um, for the most part. Um, going back to what you were saying, though, I think that what the film does do is keep Lolita at arm's length from us as the viewer, you know, compared to that, like we never see her emotional side or like the tra- or the traumatized side. Um, and I think that that's something it does do really well. Instead of having us relate, to James Mason's character, we're just put in his position quite a lot of the time. You know, yeah. the the film is structured so that we feel like he does in terms of like when Lolita is still this enigma. You know, she's out of arm's reach in terms of just her having been on screen. You know, I was thinking yeah. the first hour, we don't really see her that much. She's kind of, you know, it's more about the relationship between James Mason and Shelley Winters. Yeah. And their marriage kind of breaking down. It's not until the second half that we get to know her a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and I think that is the touch of a really good filmmaker is that even when the character is deplorable and someone that you can't relate to, you still feel on that you're put on their side. If not on yeah, their exactly. side, like, well, yeah, you're just put the in war, their but... perspective constantly yeah, because exactly. I mean, he's the main character and like you're yeah. he's in all of the scenes. Yeah, and it never feels like it never feels forced, you know. Yeah. Um, and by the time that we do get to spend time with Lolita, it's not until you know further down the line that you're like, okay, this is getting <laughs> this is getting really, really bad. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And I mean, it's it's not it's not a bad movie by any means. I no. mean, we're 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 trying to like discuss like the subject of the film. Yeah. And and kind of how you know the representation of. Uh, people who are sexually abused and raped and, and it's like, it's hard to, uh, <laughs> it's hard to just be like, yeah, this movie is amazing, you know? Yeah. Cause it is, it is a very well-made film and like it, it is, you know, there's just the fact that he was able to, um, to make something like this that could be shown to people, uh, and you know, maybe, maybe the movie has done some good. I don't know. Maybe it has yeah. opened a dialogue about, you know, the subject matter to where, um, people could talk about it. Cause like one of the things that, uh, in, in the documentary about Kubrick, um, that his wife Christiane said was that Stanley liked the book because it clarified the feeling that good and evil do not come in the expected package. Yeah. And yeah, I think the movie, yeah, does highlight that. Like it, it points out that, you know, like evil people can be your neighbors, your neighbors or your theater teacher or, you know, yeah, I'm not saying go out there and (laughs) start looking at your neighbor (laughs) like he's a pedophile, but yeah. You know, you like you can't just um Yeah, I mean yeah, it's <laughs> Yeah, people are hiding stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I th- I think it's also quite an interesting comment on like the fetishism of American audiences as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's so much in media that tries to make females appear as like younger and you know alluring the whole you know there's there's so many articles written about how you know people are made to look younger and sound younger and yeah their age changing and stuff like that and i think that that's kind of what it's talking about is that what well, part of it is just the the fetishism that we put on stuff like that that is like actually this is disgusting <laughs> you know this isn't yeah you know something that we should do even the poster for lolita is like um very striking you know with the like the heart glasses and she's like sucking a lollipop and stuff it's just yeah yeah even that is like okay (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah i think the uh the real the real life satirical aspect about this is that the catholic church would 
deem watching this movie as simple <laughs> when we know what's going on over there. Hot take. <laughs> I mean, they were just passing those out. I mean, I feel like any kind of renegade director from this period you read about, and they've come up against the Catholic Legion Legion of Decency for for something or other. They imposed some, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, these are the people that didn't want to see a flushing toilet on TV or yeah. on the screen. Yeah. So, yeah. Which I guess, it, like, toilets were just okay now because there's toilets yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Um, just letting that slip by. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah, the toilet is not the worst thing you yeah. find in this film. <laughs> That's true. Um, I think I think that, you know, we've talked about Kubrick and his, his black humor and the fact that, you know, how he tells his stories are always a little bit mean, um, especially to the viewer. You know, he keeps us kind of on a string. But I think this is the first example of a whole movie being like a black comedy. Yeah. You know, it's not the things that happen aren't funny. They yeah. shouldn't be funny, but it's told in such a, I mean, it's told in such a great way that, you know, you feel like laughing. Like the whole scene where his wife, finds his diary yeah and that like aftermath and he's kind of running around the house trying to make excuses but yeah. inwardly being like you know i could kill her and get away with it yeah and yeah then, he's just like you know i'm writing a story and i just happened to use yeah. your names <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and i mean i think that like parts of it are like i mean i think the majority of it's really funny and i think that peter sellers yeah. really like i don't know if that's more reassuring for an audience you know, especially at that time to see someone like Peter Sellers and be like, okay, you know, I can laugh at this. I know that this person is supposed to be funny, yeah. you know, um, and whether that was a deliberate choice to to put us at ease a little bit. Yeah. That, okay. It's supposed to be funny. You know, this is the a film that we're supposed to be laughing at. Yeah. Because um, as we'll see next week, um, he's really good at comedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's yeah. I think a lot of this movie is is done really well. You know, it's like it's it's <laughs> it is just, and that's the thing I forgot. Like that, I had no memory. Like I don't remember watching this and being like that was funny or getting that it was supposed to be funny. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean that whole opening scene with Peter Sellers and um. James Mason, where he's like coming to kill him, and then Peter Sellers is like dancing around him and doing all the voices and like trying to play the game, like play, yeah. you know, ping pong, ping pong. And, um, isn't there like a chess board there too? There's like a yeah. chess reference, and yeah, uh, and then even like the scenes after that, like, I mean, basically every scene kind of has something, um, very uncomfortably funny yeah um there's like the whole scene well like yeah when they they go to see the movie and then like the mom and lolita both <laughs> you know yeah. grab his like legs because they're like scared and then like all their hands start stacking up yeah. um it's just like but then it you know it just quickly becomes like more Icky. and more uncomfortable yeah and and it's like it's it gets harder and harder to to laugh at and i think you know the ending is held is is, is done pretty well you know i mean they show lolita as an adult and um and they just show the delusion of james mason's character yeah. and stuff and and like i said the at the beginning that this film is kind of a portrait of delusion. Yeah. And I think that that's where like Kubrick's biggest disappointment lay is because in, in the novel, um, the whole way through, you think it's just a perversion for the character that like his whole reaction and interaction with Lolita is because she is young and she mm -hmm. does like fit this profile of what he finds attractive. Um, and then at the end, it's kind of revealed that he, that he is in love with her. And that it's not the the attraction. It's kind of like he loves her. That's why he shows up even though she's not um, underage anymore. He's still like, okay, I want to take you away. Yeah. Um, but the film obviously can't spend the first hour and 40 minutes talking about, you know, desires. 
like right. hidden yeah. sexual desires of these characters. So it yeah. loses something there. It's got to lean more heavily on the fact that no, James Mason is like in love with this person. He just doesn't. Yeah. It's not like sexual for him. It's like an attraction, you know. Yeah. And I think that that's that's kind of where again it just loses some of the nuance that the novel has. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of like these big reveals. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think that I know. I know. There's a quote where Kubrick said that if he got the chance and he knew how complicated it would be getting it past the senses, he wouldn't make it. He yeah. wouldn't have made it again. You know. And I think that's that lies in that lies the true reaction of this film. You know. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, he was still very much a young filmmaker at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But as you said, I think that you know we we saw in Passive Glory. Uh, we saw during Spartacus, like he wants a hit, like Kubrick wants a film to be successful. And as you said at the beginning of this discussion, like what would be more successful than a film that people think is unfilmable? Right, exactly, yeah. You know, people are going to go and see it. It was made for about 2 million-ish, give or take, and then grossed, you know, 4.5 million in its opening, like showcase kind of thing. So it was successful. Yeah. Um and it, that's like what he needed after Spartacus, you know, it's something that he had set out on his own to make um and managed to make a success out of it. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think it took like 2 years after they finished filming for it to pass the censors. Wow. Because they kept having to take it back and like re-edit cut it, it cut and it like down. work with them to try and get it, you know, releasable, yeah. I guess. Um, they had to lean heavily into the the fact that there was like an it was like a love story quote unquote between the yeah. two characters as opposed to anything else um and yeah i mean they only took 88 films 88 days to film and then took two years to get you know That's crazy. the seal of approval well i know even like the screenplay like getting the screenplay done took a while too because he um yeah he contracted vladimir Nabokov, who wrote the book, to do the yeah. screenplay, and then the first screenplay he turned in was like four hundred pages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, we can't film this. This yeah. is like, this is so heavy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then basically, yeah, basically, uh, the movie, I mean, th- like the the script that ended up being shot was basically Stanley Kubrick's. He edited it, edited. It, edited the script so much um that it was like unrecognizable to vladimir's novel and uh but but vladimir nabokov is still credited as the screenplay writer and got nominated for an oscar and also gave the movie great praise like he was like it's not my book but it does it does something else that's that's just as interesting to him yeah and i think that's an interesting take to have you know because i know that when we get to the shining for example it does take liberties with the story and makes changes that did not impress the author um whereas this you know it feels more of like the idea was the same it's just not as um it's it's just a little bit more free you know um which it has to be i feel like it does have to be Um, yeah but yeah, because I know that, you know, originally, I mean, in the book, Lolita is 12 and in the film, she's 14. Mm-hmm. So they had to kind of, you know, pull that up. Um, and a lot was made of the fact that once the film was actually released, Sue Lyon was only 16, so couldn't actually see it in America yeah. because of the rating it got. Um, so she could only see it in England because at 16, she was able to see it at that age. Um, and a lot of the press around the time was making a lot of... Uh, noise about that that the yeah. lead character couldn't see this film <laughs> yeah i mean like i said it's like when you i mean i don't know if that was strategic like i'm, I'm sure he couldn't like foresee all of that stuff happening because he didn't know how hard it would be to get past the yeah. sensors but like yeah. it's like i feel like at least other filmmakers have taken that idea of um like any buzz is good buzz yeah and, and been able yeah. to like try to create controversial work in order to get people to 
pick out details like that and like make articles and talk about it so that because yeah. then you know even i'm sure at the time even if you didn't see the movie you heard about it well that's it i think that and the fact that the tagline was birthed out of that fact yeah you know you read that tagline which is how did they ever make a film out of lolita and you're like i want to go and see how they made a film out of lolita yeah you know um so i think the marketing was spot on and and yeah i mean any publicity is good publicity when you're you know trying to get your name out there yeah um and it's also blending the kind of classic Hollywood with like this new sentimentality that's coming through where, you know, you can't really hold us back. We're going to tell these stories and it's kind of ushering in a new, a new style. You know, the French new wave is kind of kicking off as well at this time. And, and there's all this kind of, it's bubbling. And I think this is definitely a, a push towards freedom in, in, um, in filmmaking, especially in America. Yeah, um, and so for that reason, it is a. I think it's a pivotal film. I think it's an important film in the history of cinema. Um, but Kubrick made so many important films <laughs> that it's yeah. hard to be like, you know, I don't know to to make this the one that should stand out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, even he was like, I I would have done things differently. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it got him to the next stage in his career. This was, uh, was this the last Harris Kubrick production? It was, yeah. And the first, I mean, and again, the first film that he made in England as well. Oh, yeah, so. that's right. Yeah, so he, yeah, he got a taste for that and, like, um, the freedoms that it brought. Yeah, so, I mean, the reason that they decided to film in England was that there was a, um, an incentive called the ED project, um, which it would allow foreign producers to to make a film in England if eighty percent of the laborers were UK subjects, yeah, um, and they'd be able to write off like a large majority of costs. Mm-hmm. So for Harris Kubrick, the production company who you know hadn't really made that much money to this point, you know they'd made artistic and like critically acclaimed films, but not really making that much money. I can imagine that that was just like the biggest selling point. And they already yeah. had James Mason attached, who was British. So and it was they like, got Peter Sellers. Yeah, yeah. Who was all, also and, British, right? Yeah, and all yeah. these crews that just, you know, were obviously British because they shot a lot of it in Britain, yeah, in England. Um, so it was a no-brainer. And then this would obviously become Kubrick's home from now on out. You know, he yeah. would... Moved back to New York for a little while after Lolita was finished, but would return to England full time and start to become more reclusive and yeah, you know the coo- mysterious the, yeah the the mad genius that we would know further down the line yeah so it all kind of starts here. Um, I it's feel interesting like that, yeah, go ahead. Uh, it's interesting that Harris and Kubrick did all black and white films. Mm. It was all there, but I, that was probably cost too. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, especially with this film and then our next film, we're coming to the end of, like, early Kubrick. I think there's a very definitive, like, break between the two periods. Yeah. Um, And here, you know, it's it's definitely stylistically, I think, a a leg up from what we've seen so far. It's kind of heightened. Um, And we can, can, I mean, personally, I can see more of the blend of the filmmaker and the photographer together you know we've got in this film longer shots the angles are a little bit different you can tell that um that he's taking a lot of care into where the camera is and what they're looking at you know the the screen is always filled with so much stuff um and he holds it for such a long time that um i think the two the two passions you know and where kubrick came from are starting to merge together better than we've ever seen um and then after Strange Love, you know, we get into the color, yeah, and the like the the banger period, the just the yeah. banger after banger, like the films that everybody knows, yeah. Um, and I think here he's still, like, he's still swimming towards that point. Yeah. You know, we're getting closer. We can see him emerging, but it's not quite five star. It's not, you know the best it could be. There's yeah, still exactly. room for improvement. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think the, I think, you know, going back to just the subject matter of the film and what it, what he was trying to accomplish, I think the scene that maybe for me uh, kind of um, encompasses the whole film of what he, the whole thing of what he was trying to achieve with this film is when he is, uh, when he goes up to the room with the hotel clerk and (laughs) is trying to like open open the cot. Yeah. And like the whole scene, it's, it's basically like a three stooges scene. It is like, you know, it's just like slapstick comedy trying to get this cot open while the child is sleeping in the bed. And the whole time, like as you're laughing at, you know, they're them like trying to get this thing open. But the whole time you're like, He's not going to sleep in that cot. Yeah, exactly. This is just for pretenses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like Lee Nonfra, I was surprised at how many people commented on it as well. Like, I feel like every time he came in contact with like a neighbor, there were like questions are being asked of like your relationship together. And he's like, oh, whatever. You know, you don't know anything. And yeah. I, that was surprising that like so many people were kind of like implicit in it they knew what was going on but never did anything we'll see i mean well there's a there i mean that that highlights something that is actually real i think Mm -hmm. is the fact that men like that can get away with it and he does i mean he he, does he he dies in prison for murder not for child rape yeah yeah so Um, yeah i mean every step of the way there's people that are suspicious and he's just like he's not like even I don't know, he's not even quiet about it. You know, it's not yeah. like he's uh, uh, he gets angry with Lolita, but it's more about her going out all the time. You know, he's just jealous. He's not annoyed that she could be telling people. It's just an excuse to keep her at home. Yeah. Yeah. He's a troubling character. Yeah. But played very well. I mean, James yeah. Mason is is uh, a very good actor, and everybody else in the film is really good. Shelley Winters as Charlotte Hayes, and Sue Lyon is yeah. you know incredible. Like her, like just her, the showcase of her acting ability. I mean, the scene where she's like pissed off at him, yeah, and and you know throwing tantrums and stuff is like. Some good acting. And then, of yeah. course, Peter Sellers is, like steals the show. Yeah, he does. And I think that, you know, Mason knew that as well. Like when he, you know, when they were halfway through and he could tell that Sellers was stealing the show, he, he said, you know, if I had known that this was the part that was going to steal the show, that's the one I would have gone for. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he, it, <laughs> it, yeah. it only happened to be that way because Peter Sellers was playing the character. It's like, exactly. If, if yeah. the tables were turned, Peter Sellers would have stole the show anyway. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like yeah. you do with the character what you do with it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and it was also the collaboration of Kubrick and, and Peter Sellers as well, creating the character because he wasn't as prominent in the book. He was more of in the background. Yeah, because I think that, you know, Sellers, from what, I, from what I've read, was very nervous about taking the part um, and like, not really sure that he could do it. So there must have been some trust there between the two for him to yeah. knock it out of the park like this, you know, for him to get this Kubrick to get this performance from him. Yeah. Um and I think that, you know, it is a really good partnership. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad that we get to see more of it. Yeah. Same. Speaking of which. Yeah. What are we seeing more of next well, week? Next week, we are going to be finishing what I call the early period. <laughs> um, but it's just another Kubrick film. It is uh, Doctor Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb from 1964. Um, this is, you know, underhand black comedy. I think the next one is out and out black comedy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think these two are going to become a perfect double bill. Yeah, for sure. So I'm excited to talk about that to you again. Yes. Same. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, it is. 
Um, I love this movie, Doctor Strange Love. Yeah. Uh, so, do you want to guess what we rated the film Lolita on Red Letterboxd, and then put it in our Kubrick ranking? I do. I really do. I think that. <laughs> I think this is a tough one because I think that the film is made really well. Yeah. And I think that there's as much in there as you could possibly put in there with the time. Mm-hmm. I think that obviously the subject matter is worrying, but I think that you probably, that you gave it a four out of five. Cool. I think that, I'm going to say the same. I think you gave it a four out of five. Okay, what did you give it? Four out of five. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it a three and a half out of five. All right. Yeah, I I just didn't have the same feeling as I did with Paths of Glory, The Killing. Yeah. You know, I think it's on the same level as Spartacus. I can remember really liking it when I first watched it. And going back to it, it felt a little bit of a anticlimax. I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. and not that it wasn't made well. I think it was made well. I just think that Paths of Glory and The Killing just work better as films for me. Yeah. Um, and especially when I'm trying, when I'm watching it now, I'm trying to like compare it to the other films for the ranking. Um, but it just doesn't, just doesn't like like There's my fire as missing. much as the other two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like I said, it's still really well made, and you can see like a master filmmaker doing this film. Yeah. Exactly. So. Um, but where are we going to put it in our ranking? That is a good question. Um, I still think Passive Glory is the best film that we've seen. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. Um, I think maybe... I I think it's probably above Spartacus. I, I think, think it's above Spartacus, yeah. Yeah, because it's... Um, it's, it's definitely... There's a lot you can learn from this movie, I think, as a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, especially like what you were saying about the characters. Like, not even. It's like it's it's done in an interesting way where you're not you're not empathizing with the character, but you're still put in his perspective all of the time. Yeah. And and like you said, like limiting how much you see Lolita, like is attributed to that. Almost like, uh, yeah, it's just like a trickery of like filmmaking. Yeah, and I think there, yeah, there's a definitely a, a technique there that I think is uh, important mm. to learn. Yeah, because like at the reception desk, you're still in that mindset of, oh God, Peter Sellers can hear you. Like, be quiet, you know. And it's like I should not be not wanting this character to get away with, but I should not be, you know emphasizing like emphasizing with him you know yeah i don't know it's it's a weird position to be in yeah so i mean you know i love killer's kiss so yeah (laughs) i think it's it's either gonna go in between spartacus and killer's kiss or killer's kiss and the killing Mm. i think what do you think i think this the killer's kiss and lolita both have different downfalls for me yeah killer's kiss is still kind of amateurish and i hate saying that because it's not like a bad film yeah what did you rate killer's kiss i think i gave it three and a half the same ah yeah whereas for this i think it's more the restrictions of the time that hinder it i think the filmmaking from kubrick is better but i just don't think that it's the film it should have been yeah, I'm happy Over. to put it under. I'm happy to put it under Killer's Kiss because okay. for I me, think I think they're both level. Yeah, I think maybe tied. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think just based on the fact that um, overall, Killer's Kiss has more stars total <laughs> between yeah. you and I. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, I think that's ben fine. Malia. Yeah. Because I gave Killer's Kiss five. You gave it three and a half, and then yeah, yeah. There's one less for Lolita. Yeah, and I think that's. I think if given the chance, you know, chances are I'd go and watch Killer's Kiss probably before I'd go and watch Lolita again. 
Yeah. And that's normally where I put it. And I think that's just, you know, having seen it recently and and stuff. But yeah, I'm happy with that. I'm happy there where it is. And I do want to say that James Mason is very interesting as an actor. And there's a film called Bigger Than Life from 1956, um, where he becomes addicted to prescription drugs. So if you're in for another CD Mason performance, I suggest you check it out because it's incredibly good. Sweet. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, so as of right now, it's Passive Glory, number one, The Killing, number two, Killer's Kiss, number three, Lolita, number four, Spartacus, number five, and Fear and Desire, number six. Not quite how I think thought it would have turned out yeah. so far, to be honest, but... I'm excited to see for next week because I know you love Doctor Strangelove. Yeah. So. It's good. Yeah. It's good stuff. Tune in next week for that next Sunday. Um, But yeah, with that, I think that brings us to the end of the show. You can, of course, find us on Twitter and Instagram at Film Church Radio and follow us individually on Letterboxd. I am at Selmascope and Lewis is at WalkerLewis3007 to keep up with what we've been watching. Uh, We also have all of our back episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms. Please leave us a rating and review so that we know you liked the film or hated the film. If you don't... Oh. (laughs) I read that wrong. (laughs) If you don't, don't, we're going to come and get you. (laughs) Uh, It's like the teleprompter and... Anchorman, just like read whatever's there. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, if you didn't like what we watched or talked about, uh, let us know what we should be watching in the future, and, uh, and we'll do it. But with that, um, all I have left to say is, do you believe in God? The question is, does God believe in me? I don't know, does he? Amen. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) All right, y'all, have a good week. Bye.